This podcast is for education purposes only. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of the United States Marine Corps, United States Navy, or any other Department of Defense entity. The material and information presented here is for general information only. Due to the graphic content in this episode, listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to the No Way Out podcast. I'm here with the dapper, the debonair, the delightful John. Wow, great triple D. The triple D. Thank you. I don't know if that's well. Yeah, triple D. We'll take. We'll we'll go for that one and, right now. And I thought you fit all those descriptions. Thank you, John. I believe so. Yeah. Thank but you. Thank you for that. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Welcome, everybody. So excited to see you again, John. We have First Sergeant Joshua Nicholson with us. He's from Hedgeville, West Virginia. He's actually been deployed a total of nine times. Unbelievable. And in February 2006, he deployed in Iraq to support uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. From January 2007 to April 2013, he deployed five times in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom as well. He was a combat instructor. He's deployed multiple times. I mean, he's, he's a Marine through and through, and we're so blessed to have him with us right now. Uh, First Sergeant, tell me about Hedgeville, West Virginia. We got to give a shout out to Hedgeville. Um, So Hedgesville is just this small ass town in West Virginia. Um, It's got a little bigger now, but it's got had like one or two stoplights, uh, super spread out, you know, a bunch of, you know, I I enjoyed growing up there because I had a lot of like leeway on like what you could do because I lived uh, in a house kind of in the woods. So it's like, you know, when I was, you know, sixth, seventh grade, it would be like, hey, you know, ride your four wheeler four or five miles away, and then um, during the winter you'd ride your four wheelers on the roads. And you know, um, I don't know, it was just good. I had a very uh, close knit group of friends, probably like ten guys um, that you know we just constantly hung out. And uh, I mean, it was pretty simple life. There was no, you know, no major airports there. There's no sports teams there. It's just kind of everybody hanging out all the time um we all played all most of us all played the same sports or with like same seasons and stuff um and i still talk to a lot of those guys and girls today um so i liked it i think you know over time i think it's progressively gotten just a little worse maybe not hedgesville but like the surrounding areas um i I wouldn't go back that's for sure my mom's still there but i would not go back (laughs) not heading back to hedgesville (laughs) no not even a fucking chance it's just not enough to do. Right, exactly. Now, tell me, young First Sergeant Nicholson is going to join the Marines. What was your thought process there? How uh, did you come about joining? So I was going to join the Army Reserves, and the recruiter was like, hey, we want you to go to boot camp in summer of 2003. Yeah, summer of 2003. And I was like, all right, cool. And then I told my football coach, and I said, hey, Coach Lopez, I was like, hey, I want to you know, go to the Army Reserves, go to boot camp. And he said, well, you won't play football if you miss summer. Mm. And I said, well, that's not going to fucking happen. So I went to weightlifting with my buddy. Um, his name is Josh Largent. We went in the Marine Corps together. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, hey, man, you want to join the Marine Corps? He's like, yeah, let's do it. And then the next day, there's a recruiter. And this guy was like, hey. I went up there, and I saw some stickers. And I'm like, these are, these are pretty cool. And uh, he was just like, you want to join the Marines? I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, what are you doing today? And I said, uh, nothing. And I was still in my junior year. So it was like three, five days away from graduating. and uh, Or not graduating, going to, going into summer into my senior year. And uh, he was like, hey, I'll be at your house at 5. What time does your mom get home? I said, she gets home at like 5, 5.30. So he shows up. I get done uh, some weightlifting stuff. 
I go home. He's already there. We go in. He sets all this bullshit up on the kitchen counter. And I'm like, look, man. I was like, you don't need to pitch me anything. I was like, my grades are bad. I have nowhere to go. Like, <laughs> I, I'm I'm signing the papers. Like, one way or the I'm other. In Hedgeville. I'm, yeah. I was like, I'm going. I, I got to get out of Hedgeville. Yep. And my mom call, My mom comes home, and she's like, who's this? I said, oh, it's the Marine recruiter. She said, okay, well, what, why is he here? I said, I'm joining the Marines. She said, oh, you are? And I was 17. She's like, I was like, yep. She's like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, pretty sure. She's like, okay. She's like, where do I sign? Signs my life away. And then uh felt bad for the recruiter because I thought, you know, I was kind of in, but I was supposed to go to these pulley functions and all these things. And I didn't attend any of that shit. Like, I was just hanging out for a year. And like a month to go, he's trying to get me to all these functions to go. And I was like, yeah, I'm just not doing that. Um, I was too busy playing sports and partying and stuff. Uh, he thought I was going to drop out of the program because I had 11, 12 months. Um, I didn't. And then, you know, a month before, he's like, hey, you know, are, are all the drugs out of your system? I was like, no. <laughs> so he like, he had to figure that piece out. So I got clean real quick. Um, and then ended up the day, the day, night I was supposed to go to boot camp, I called my mom crying to come get me. I was like, I made a huge mistake. And my mom said, tough shit. Uh, <laughs> she said, I'll see you in three months and hung up the phone. And then that was it. And then I sat there in my hotel room and I cried my little eyes out. My buddy's sitting there fucking sleeping, looking at me. And he's like, you need to go to bed, dude. Like tomorrow's going to be rough. Um, well, the next three months were rough. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's really the how I got there. When you made the decision, like 2003, there's already a war effort going on. The towers have come down. What what were what were you thinking, in, in terms of like everybody signs up for some kind of a different reason? But what were you thinking? So, my going two thousand three was March of two thousand three. Um, I was on the wrestling team with a guy named Chuck Files and a guy named Danny Bell. Um, I played football with both of them, and I think Chuck went first, and then Danny was right after him, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but they came back. I th Chuck had joined the Marine Corps, I think, right out of high school. So he'd been a Marine, and he came back once or twice, and he was like, he's, I mean, he's a big dude anyway, but he was just, like, a bad fucking dude. And I was like, okay, this guy's, you know, whatever. He, he likes it, and he was telling me about it. And then uh, I didn't really, like, nothing really, like, drove me to it. To me, it was just like, if the Air Force recruiter would have showed up that day, mm -hmm. probably would have done that, honestly. To me, it was just the first opportunity to secure something safe but like when the war was going on i didn't really understand it i was just kind of like i didn't watch a lot of news and stuff back then or so i didn't really i knew we had invaded i guess kind of didn't really know the severity and things like that the first time i really noticed that like hey there's a no shit war going on uh i was in the chow hall at engineer school and a battle of fallujah was going on and uh I saw it, and I was like, oh, these guys are fucking getting after it. And then one of our instructors was like, yeah, you motherfuckers are going over there to die. And I was like, oh, oh got wow. it. And got it. Like, yep. Now I really see the light. Yeah. yeah. And it, we had a, it was like a bunch of gunnies and stuff, and like I think they had all deployed, and they were telling us how bad it was and like just scaring the shit out, trying to scare us. Um, I think at that young, you, you don't know if you want to go over to war or not, or I, at least I didn't. I was just kind of like, it puts the lotion on the skin kind of thing. I was just like, I'm just going to do what I'm told, and... I don't know what's going to happen uh, because war was such a far reality. Like I could see it on TV, yeah. but it, I w it, w it didn't affect me. It didn't affect me at all. So uh, I just, I didn't have any fucking idea. Like, like the thought of picking up a gun and ending another human life was just not a real possibility for me at that time. So, And uh, when you first arrived, when you were on that airplane, you show up, 
how old were you at this time? To a boot camp? No, no, no. I'm talking on the ground. Your oh, first that was, point when, was when you actually saw some I was combat. Twenty. Twenty years yep. young. Twenty years old. Yep. Can you recall any of those thoughts? Uh, so it was our original mission. Uh, we went over there as like two platoons, I think, and some other supporting entities. And our company commander is a colonel now, Colonel Zimmerman, Captain Zimmerman, and then I had a uh, Lieutenant Wittenberg, Staff Sergeant Leisure. Staff Sergeant Leisure going to be a Master Guns. Lieutenant Wittenberg is now Lieutenant Colonel Wittenberg, if I'm not mistaken. And then we get over there, and, like, we did a lot of cold weather training and shit. Like, we went to Korea in November, mm-hmm. and, like, it was fucking cold. And then we get to Iraq, and it's kind of cold. And then, it, like, I was – somebody was like, hey, it's about to get, like, real fucking hot. We didn't have a lot of focused training. Like, we did some, like – baseline stuff but we didn't really know what the hell we were doing i was a lance corporal so obviously the word's gonna get to me last they may have known what was going on but i had no fucking clue i was just kind of like just tell me where to go and when to be and how to be and i was like okay like my platoon sergeant or my squad leader will tell me what to do from my understanding we were supposed to do road repair which is fine um but then we get there and they're like hey your guys are gonna do this new thing called route clearance and here's all your gear and like we had no ied training I couldn't tell you what a fucking IED was. We had zero training on this shit whatsoever. We get all these vehicles. We get like a week to like figure it out. And then like, they're like, hey, you're going to open up this new, this black route called Route Iron. And our first mission, I think my squad leader went on the mission, one of the missions first. And then we started getting slowly integrated. But our first real mission, I think we got blown up three or four times. Mm. Lead vehicle got blown up. I was the rear gunner. Uh, People were, like, running behind our vehicles and shit, and I'm, like, 50 cal gunner, and I have no clue what the hell is going on. Uh, sergeant's yelling at me, like, did three people just run behind us? And I'm, like, because an IED just went off in the first vehicle. People were running behind us. Sergeant Polo just fucking hollering at me, like, did they run behind you? And I'm, like, I'm half asleep because it's 2 in the morning, um, and I have no idea what the fuck's going on. I'm just standing here. I have a 50 cal, and the 50 cal's back then didn't have a safety. So I'm, like, bobbing my head, and if it would have hit the hit the trigger around probably would have went off but good thing i was last vehicle but we were fumbling through this shit and at that point i think we only had like three people that had deployed in that platoon our staff sergeant was a fucking animal staff sergeant leisure he was a fucking stud um and we had a really good sergeant a guy named sergeant williams uh my guy sergeant polich and we had another guy sergeant gwynn you know they were fucking studs and uh they were all young too but they seemed a lot older to me like when i when I was 23, I didn't feel like I was as mature as them. Like, they, they to me, when I was 19 or 20, I looked at them as they were, like, full-grown-ass right. men. And yeah. I was like, yo, these guys have it together, um, and I'll never be that. Yeah, I was just, you know, thrown into a situation kind of thing and, uh, you know, figured the fuck out kind of deal. And we ended up going up that whole deployment route, Michigan, Iron, and, like, so Michigan's in between Fallujah and Ramadi. So ended up being uh, kind of a fucking shit show. It was a good time, though. Uh, very, very, pretty kinetic IEDs all the time. So that was your day to day, just every day. So from zero four hundred, how much sleep were y'all? Were you oh, getting at uh, that time? Were you actually? You know, funny thing about combat is like you'll be, it'll be the most action packed, and then you'll be the most bored in your life. Like, and you get the most sleep. You know, it varied. Like, I assume Intel would come down and say, "Hey, we think they're putting in IEDs from three o'clock in the morning to six because it's dark." So sometimes our missions would be start at midnight and go till, you know, 15 hours, or sometimes they would start at 6 and go till 2200 at night. It just every week, every day was different, or we would go somewhere and we would stop, and then the next day we would go do something else, or we would go 
stop somewhere and build a small PB somewhere. Um, it was, like I said, I was a Lance Corporal and Corporal, so I really wasn't kind of in the know. I got briefs every day. My, our lieutenant briefed us every day. I wasn't sitting in on the high-level briefs of, like, what why we're doing missions and stuff like that. It was just kind of like, hey, you do your smart of the, small part of this job, and you don't need to worry about the rest of this shit. Like, if you're a gunner, just be the best gunner today. If you're a driver, be the best driver. Um, we, you don't need to... You'll have There's enough leadership around to... If we need to go do something, somebody will tell you exactly what to fucking do. Um, so, you know, I was with my sergeant all the time, and he would, he was very, uh, very direct. Like, he knew exactly what the fuck he wanted to do 24 hours a day. So, I didn't really have, there wasn't much thinking on my behalf. I just, hey, what do you want me to do? Hey, go fucking kick that door and got it. And then go romp around for an hour or two and then come back. And it was a lot of oversight, but then at the same time, it was like almost no oversight. Because once he told us what to do, we'd be gone for two hours. And he wasn't around. It was just kind of like Corporal Nicholson and the hood rats trouncing around houses and, you know, fucking around. Just trying to figure out, you know, where the bad guys are. And then our staff sergeant would be like, hey, you guys are done fucking around. Get back. And then we'd all migrate back and go foot patrol or drive around. And um, But it was very early stages of the war. I mean, the war had been going on for three years at that point. But, like, the finding the IEDs was a somewhat of a new deal. Um, so I think everybody was just trying to figure it the fuck out at that point. In a way, what got you through those times when you were facing combat? Uh, you know, you hear a lot about brotherhood. You hear about, uh, you know, the guy next to you, the guy over here. Young First Sergeant Nicholson's just, uh, what was, like, what kind of brotherhood developed and sisterhood developed there that, that I think you could maybe share with us? I think, you know, a lot of the downtime, we we spent every waking moment together. Like, we slept in the same room, we slept in the same vehicles, we slept beside each other. You know, we're patrolling with each other. Your living quarters ends up being a fucking shit show because you have five to seven guys in one small hut, and you get bored. So you're f boxing and you're fighting, and like, you know, uh, I remember one time, me and my buddy Steve Garcia, he, he wanted to box me. We only had two boxing gloves. So... He, we ended up in our little hooch or whatever. We ended up boxing, and I ended up knocking this dude like kind of the fuck out a little bit. Like, <laughs> and my platoon sergeant comes in and he is pissed, and he's like, "You dumb motherfucker! Like, why the fuck would you guys?" And we had a mission in like four hours, so like he was concerned because this guy might have a concussion, and he's like, "I don't give a fuck. You guys are still going. Like, figure it out." And it's oh. just like, "Wow, uh, yeah." And it was just like. <laughs> just coming up with random stuff every day we we had gators eventually we had gators and we would be r driving them around and jumping them and you know we had pets you know uh shit you weren't allowed to have what like scorpions or what scorpions and a dog we had a dog for a while i had a lizard uh just you know and you play a lot of a lot of cards um and it just you just try to find shit to wait wait, wait pass back, the time. pack it up a gator what do you mean a game? Oh, it's a vehicle. No, like, like uh, oh, the UTVs. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm thinking, like, you have an alligator? For no, 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 no. We had two or three, uh, like, UTVs, but we ended up destroying them, but we made, like, a track. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, We got super fuck. bored, because our platoon sergeant kind of lived a little bit away from us. So we're a bunch of Lance Corbels and Corbels living by ourselves, kind of, and we're just being, mostly we just f fought a lot, like, a lot of fighting. Mm -hmm. um, and taping, tying each other up and beating the shit out of each other and like 
it's just all it was is playing cards and fist fighting and you know once you're you live around somebody like they could look at you wrong and you're just like do you want to fucking fight and they're like do you and you're like yeah i do um and i will yeah and then or it's like a new like, york city boarding school right <laughs> and it was, or it was a big like pain tolerance things like we we were into this whole like the towel whipping thing sure. for oh, yeah. a really oh, long yeah. time and like how hard you could do it and then we like i have videos of just dude just cut the fuck open on the back of the, and their backs and their arms and like just from us whipping towels and stuff <laughs> you just get so bored like i mean 21 year olds are gonna you can't drink so you're either going to the gym, so you're PTing, you're playing cards, or you're beating each other up. That's re- or you're going to chow together. Yeah, and like right. you could be in a fist fight at, at noon, and then at twelve thirty you're in the chow hall together. Yeah, just chatting. Yeah, and then you're you know you have a mission and things like that. And uh, then the mission you're supporting each other. You're relying on each other, even yeah. though you just whipped each other with yeah, the ass with just, a towel. Yeah, you just I think it's just boredom. Once boredom takes over, it's just <laughs> yeah. like yeah, it's all hell breaks loose. And our platoon sergeant didn't come around a lot. I mean, probably by design because he didn't want to have to, yeah. you know, corral us all the time. Because he, he probably knew it was going He 100% knew it was going on. And our sergeants knew it was going on too, I assume. But there was that clear line of like con- – the corporals and lance corporals were kind of in the same peer group. But the sergeants were completely different. Like they didn't come around. The sergeants had their own area. They didn't hang out with us at all. Um, they would come check on us. And that was it. They would not. There was no friendly. There was a clear fucking line of where I where I stood in the pecking order, and it was I wasn't even in the same zip code as my sergeants. Like, they slept in a separate place. They acted differently. They ate chow together, and the lance corporals kind of mingled together a little bit because we were forced to because we were on the same peer group. I think sixteen of us went to Okinawa together, so picking up intermittently, um, and then we got some other outside guys. But for the most part. The corp wasn't below. We all probably picked up around the same time anyway. Uh, we all hung out, and then, you know, the sergeants kind of did their thing. They were away for most 95% of the time, and then the staff sergeant and my lieutenant were. If we weren't on a mission, we probably didn't really see them that much. Mm-hmm. Just because if you saw your platoon sergeant, it was not good. <laughs> it was <laughs> a bad day. to get your fucking a bad day. ass chewed. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's the only, like, I would see my platoon sergeant walking around for mission prep, and then I would see him when I was in trouble. Uh, other than that, I had squad leader, I had team leaders, I had all that shit to handle me. So we didn't. That's the Marine Corps I grew up in. So it's like so weird now. That's just like they want the platoon sergeant to be so involved in every fucking breath of their life that uh, it's just been from one pendulum swing to the other of like, hey, you're gonna see your squad leader like once or twice a day to like the sergeant is like up these kids' ass all day. Um, to like the platoon sergeant you're seeing you know under circumstantial things they're like the platoon sergeant needs to do all of these things with these marines all the time and like how are they and all this shit so it's just uh it's very different i think once we go back to combat it'll probably reset and recycle sure and the people that you saw that you looked up to that seemed so much older than you a staff sergeant a gunny sergeant that you looked up to that you called like the these were like like these were real dudes and you felt like I'll never get to that stage. At what point do you feel like you got to that stage? I don't, or maybe you never felt like you got to that stage. <laughs> I never felt like I was on their level at any point. I saw them at such a young age and uh, all of the things that they were responsible for. And I don't think you're ever going to like, 
you know, think that you're going to catch up to these dudes. Maybe I, I probably did at some point, like, surpass them at, at talent level and things like that. But in my mind, I never did because they were such hard fucking dudes. Like, uh, Sergeant Polich was just, like, I remember watching him one time. Uh, I was in a turret, and I was watching him. He was, he's a good dude. Like, I saw him, but he instilled a lot of fear in me. Like, he was sometimes not a nice human being to me, but... Um, I respected the shit out of him, but I remember one time I was in a turret and I saw him walking and a, and a controlled detonation went off. So like this thing blows up, right? And he's just walking towards me. Oh my gosh. And a fucking log just lands two feet from him and he just keeps walking. And I'm like, this dude. <laughs> it's like Rambo. Yeah. Like right I was like, a movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and I was like, this dude doesn't give a fuck about nothing. Like, uh, <laughs> his hair grew and the wind was blowing right. his hair. But he, he was just, walk, he was just walking towards me and I yeah. was just like. They're Impressive. like counting down the explosion, and I can hear it in like you know five, four, three, two, one, fire in the hole, and it blows up, and he just doesn't phase him, and he just keeps walking, and then this fucking log lands right beside him, and he doesn't even give a fuck, and I'm just like, that's what I want to be. That's like, what I want to be. Uh, yeah. You listen to NFL players, and like, oh, I looked up to this guy, and I don't think I'll ever be that good, and it's just like, well, not only were you that good, but you beat him. Yeah. They still talk about how, you know, they looked up to that person yeah. and things like that. So like, I don't think you know, could. You know, did I? I probably did. I probably surpassed him at some point. But in my mind, he would always be like this legend, way a light legend. years ahead of me. Like I'll yeah. never be that cool. So <laughs> yeah, um, I wonder what he would appreciate about that. You know, I still talk to him like to this day. Really? And I tell I tell him stories about things that he did. And he's like, "There's no way I did that." And I'm like, "Man, you fucking 100 percent. Like I lived it. I know you did those things." And he's like, "Oh, I think you're exaggerating." I'm like, "I'm telling you right now, like." I'm not like I'm, so he was like, humble also I he might not even remember it because he might have been doing it to everybody you know so he might have just gotten lost in the shuffle of like crushing people yeah he fucking he I was a smart ass one time he made me eat a can of dip uh oh that was fucking bad oh, no. he one time I ran my I was running my fucking mouth and he said Nicholson shut the fuck up for five minutes and I set my watch and he heard me and he said stop the fucking vehicle right now and he said, there's no fucking way you just put me on a timer. And he got out of his goddamn car or his fucking door. And I'm trying to lock my Humvee door. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> and I'm terrified. And he gets out. And he's he's smaller than me. Like, I, I would have no problem. that little man syndrome thing. No, he, he, he was like 5'8", you know, 170 pounds. Like, I, I would have no problem. And I wrestled for a long time. So I'd have no problem. I would never raise a hand at him. But he opened my fucking door and just started slamming my fucking head oh my against God. the back. And he just told me he's going to kill me and a bunch of shit. And I, <laughs> and I told him, like, years later, I'm like, do you remember this? He's like, I didn't do that. And I'm like, I promise you. <laughs> I fucking promise you you did that. It's uh, etched in my memory. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. But, Literally. You know, and he was going, you know, he was going through some personal stuff at the time, right. too. So, like, and we knew a little, we didn't know a lot about it, but we knew enough of it. But, like... He was just the epitome of, like, a hard fucking dude. I said, I don't know, I have, like, a personal, personal relationship because we, we didn't, like, roll like that, but uh, or a platoon didn't roll like that. But, but there's the, a respect there. Yeah, respect and fear. Sure. Like, a lot of fear. Um, I don't know what I was scared of, but, yeah, a lot of respect for sure. But I would, there was definitely a sense of fear in there, too. Like, I don't want this guy to fucking snap on me because 
I've seen him do some wild shit and like he just nothing phases him mm-hmm. he might actually fucking kill me like for sure <laughs> there's like, a possibility yeah absolutely that he kills me yeah. <laughs> um, so first sergeant uh, maybe shifting gears a little bit first time you experienced death out there if you feel like you can share these things oh, yeah, just how sure. you responded to it what because nothing can really prepare you for perhaps seeing these things but uh. no so the first dead marine that I saw I I was an infantry guy uh, he got disintegrated into a, in a, some sea, he got caught in some sea wire there was an idea around and he just fucking got torn up uh, he exploded I was pretty far away from that uh, we walked up there uh, but it's it's so hard to like visual not visualize but like it's so hard to like piece together it's another human being was just there like two minutes ago mm-hmm. and one I didn't know that person right so like it's hard to like quantify how bad it was or whatever in your mind you're just like oh this this is bad somebody now obviously his buddies were probably were way more emotionally invested than me so I didn't really I wasn't able to really th- process it it was just kind of like a bunch of blood all over the fucking place and some boots and stuff um and then the first dead body that I actually was like on my one of my buddies shot um and then they had to they were like my lieutenant was like hey go take some pictures of it oh, and I was like oh okay um and I get out and we start taking pictures and like me and my buddy John actually my lieutenant goes up and says hey go fucking yank this body out and then take pictures of it put his ID on the ground and all this shit I was like okay cool and I'd never seen a dead body at that point, like a real fucking dead body. I think this was maybe a month in it or two into the deployment. Man, maybe a month into the deployment. Because we had a lot of missions that we were trying to prepare for route clearance and stuff. But shoot this fucking guy in a truck. He's still in the truck. I go in there and I grab him by the, his back of his shirt. Well, when I grab the back of his shirt, his head hits the steering wheel. Oh. And then his brain hits the floor. And Jeez. I'm like, oh, shit. And my buddy's like, oh, shit, dude. Like, he's like, that's fucking gnarly. And like, yeah, dude. And so we pull him out. We drag him down. And I'm like, well, what do we do? He's like, I don't know. Take pictures. And so we pull out all the shit and, like, put it on the ground and stuff. Uh, yeah, that was like, I don't know. It was weird. It was just, you know. I, th- I think an actual no-shit dead person is a little bit easier to compartmentalize. And But a person that you shoot that is still alive, mm. that's like the really fucking wonky part, right? Because, like, or somebody that gets hurt and they're, you know they're dying, yeah. uh, and you're just watching them die. There's nothing you can do. Like, they're just dying, dying. Um, that's probably a little bit more of an emotional event for most people because it's like you're hearing that person go through the last phases of their life. Somebody that's already dead that you ha- you don't know, you're just like, oh, this, this thing, this object is not living. It's just like a limp object. Um, it doesn't talk, it doesn't do anything, but like, uh, there was one individual who got fucked up. Um, they were still breathing and you're just like, that's when I was, I think I was 20. I was like, um, that's the shit that you're just like, Mm. okay, these are real human beings. Like that's Mm. someone's kid. That's someone's dad. That's someone's whatever. And you're like, no family members are around this person. It's just like some stranger who you're watching. Like there's, that person has no comfort whatsoever. They're just like, you know, surrounded by a bunch of enemy people that they or they think that are the enemy. They're not, there's no support system for them, um, and you're just kind of like, okay, that's fucked up. And like, you, we went back and we talked about it and stuff, and you're just like, what I envision a person dying and actually seeing it, uh, that was way different. I think it, 
affected everybody a little bit differently. I think the more religious people it really fucked up a lot um, because I don't think they had. I don't. I think growing up in church setting, they weren't really prepared for like, um, the brutality of it. Um, whereas me and some other guys were just kind of like, okay, like this is what it is, I guess, kind of deal. It, it sucks, but. I don't know. Some guys took it way worse than others. So mm-hmm. it all fucking sucks, I guess. But at the end of the day, it's like you can't really, you don't have time over there to focus on that stuff because you still have shit to do in an hour. You have, you know, missions to do and, and things like that. Like, you know, my fifth deployment, we took a bunch of casualties and like it was bad. But at the same time, it's just, you know, platoon commander brief, like, hey, I know we're down like 15 people, but like we're going back out tomorrow. Yeah. You know, it's like, Yo, how the fuck are we going to regroup from that? Um, and these are people, all of these Marines that got fucked up, I just had conversations with them, you know, and I had never seen that many fucked up bodies before in my life, um, which, you know, 15 is a lot. So it was just kind of like refocusing and just like, all right, well, I'll just deal with this when I get back. And I think that's what you have. You have to compartmentalize it. And I was talking to a mental health person and they're like, oh, yeah, do you have thoughts or whatever? And I'm like, Honestly, you try not to think of that stuff and bring it up because, or like at least, you know, rehashed all the time. I think, I think that's better. And like, yeah, studies are showing that like it's sometimes it is better to like put it in a trunk and lock it the fuck away and just don't talk about it. But no, as far as the answer to your question is like the first time like seeing maimed or dead or whatever, a dead person doesn't really affect you. It's the person that is going through their last final stages of you're watching literally the last 30 seconds of their life and they're like looking at you and you're just like, oh fuck. Yeah, know, bye kind of thing. Like, But at the same time, it's just like, that sucks. Put it away. Lock it away. Don't think about it till tonight or something. Um, you know, like I said, my squad leader was really good about that because he'd be like, hey, there's nothing to fucking see here. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, okay, I got redirected. And I think that's where really good leaders come in of like, bad situation, got it. Let them have five seconds to themselves. All right, guys, refocus. We have other things to do. Like, So somebody there to kind of refocus your efforts and not like dwell on all that bullshit I think is adds the most value in that whole situation hmm. at some point I know we were talking and you had said like the thought of picking up a gun and ending a life didn't occur to me was there a time and I'm guessing there had to be a time where picking up a gun and ending someone's life occurred to you you have to do it yeah. when was that yeah the first time I was able to shoot somebody I'll never forget it uh, we got hit by an IED. It was at nighttime. Um, I got told to go in this house. I'm running through this fucking house, and this guy has the gun, and I'm looking at him. He's like, from me to you. He's like six feet away, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, and I'm 20 years old, and like we are face to face, and I didn't do it. And he turns around, he takes off running, and I'm yelling at him, and I'm like, drop your weapon, all this other stuff, and he runs out of the door, out of the back, and he jumps over the wall. And I'm like, okay. Because I'm aiming a weapon at somebody and pulling the trigger that close is not normal, right? I was waiting for somebody to tell me what to do. And I I had not done enough repetitions uh, to get prepared for that in training. Um, My squad leader comes in, and he went fucking ballistic. Um, He's like, if you ever fucking do that again, he said, I'll kill you myself. Mm -hmm. And I was like, he's like, because what happens if that guy leaves and then tomorrow he kills one of us? He's like, if you never fucking, if you don't pull the trigger first, he's like, don't even come back. He's like, because I will kill you my fucking self. And I was like, got it. You know, at that point, I was like, here we go. Start being hyper aggressive. But 
for the normal 19, 20 year old yeah. person. You can do, you can say however hard you are or whatever. You can do all the training, but like until like you like are looking at another human being and like he probably had the same reaction because he's like, yeah, it's never not, done this. I have a fucking weapon, but and I can mm -hmm. shoot you. I have an AK. Like he's looking at me the same way. Like you've been trained to do it. Yeah. And it's that. And as they, the listening audience can't see, but you're literally, when you said that you're literally five and a half, six feet apart Yeah. right now, you're staring at this other person with a weapon and you're literally waiting for someone to tell you to pull the trigger because yeah. we're both looking you're, at you're each other. You're both frozen. And he's looking at me. He had every. He's not doing it, and you're not doing yeah, it. Yeah, and you're just like, like looking at each other, and you're like, "What's next?" Kind of, and like in my mind, it's just things are going so fucking Shit. slow. Um, and his was like, you know, they have the fight or flight reaction, and his was flight, and mine was Freeze. be a bitch about it, right? Yeah. Like it just is what it is. That thought process or that math wasn't adding up, and I was like, "All right, I need to raise my weapon and shoot this dude." I'm just, I just for some reason, I just. It, I couldn't connect the fucking dots. Uh, and I didn't want, I don't know, I don't even think I probably did want to do it. Because, like, then I was like, am I going to get in trouble and this and the other? Am I doing it right? Uh, but no, my squad leader came blazing through the fucking door and was like, hey, bitch, like, let that shit happen again. And he's like, I'm going to fucking kill you myself. And I'm just like, and you can read a lot of books and a lot of historical books yeah. of, like, how people don't want to, how resistant they are to killing people. Um, I mean, I don't know what you attribute that to, but it's just, it's, it's just not a normal behavior, that, and you can't practice it. Like, you can go through the repetitions for sure, and you can shoot all the green targets you want, but, like, you're looking at somebody who has a heartbeat, and, like, they have emotions, yeah. and they have reactions, and, like, your heart's just, like, going crazy, and you have, both of you have no fucking clue what to do, and he just, I'm glad he, well, kind of glad he ran, because it kind of gave me an out, because, like, at that point, what happens if we both pulled our fucking guns up, and now we're sitting at each other, and, like, well, one of us has to pull the trigger here shortly, um... And I think over experience and time of when the combat so many times, you're more apt to just jump through the door and just start cracking people's heads. Um, it gets way easier over repetition and repetition over repetition because you come to terms with that. Um, and by my sixth deployment, like if you have to go into a, 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 a building or anything like that, you have already think thought about how am I going to neutralize this other person that's over here you know, in the most expeditious manner, um, without me getting hurt too, or you're accepting it like, okay, I'm going to take one, but he has to take more. And you're just like, okay, I can come to terms with that. Like my friends are outside. If I need help, if I get shot, they'll be there to hopefully save me. I just need to make sure that I don't get shot in the fucking head. That's the main thing that I'm concerned about, or I need to pull the trigger faster. Um, I think over years and deployments of repetition and clearing buildings and doing all that stuff, uh, conditions you for that. And eventually you know, you are out cycling the enemy because they're, they're some of them are still not used to that either. So they're hesitant and you're not, you're a little bit hyper aggressive on it. Uh, that can get out of control and there's historical, you know, platoons and squads that go out of fucking control when that happens. Like they go in and they just start murdering people. But I think there's, you know, it, the good and the bad with it of being conditioned to that type of stuff. Cause you know, once you let emotions start, creeping into that and it's not just kind of like a business approach mm. uh you can get real fucking carried away with hurting people that don't need to be hurt and you're you can kick in a door and there can be an innocent kid or a civilian in there and like the last thing you want to do is you know put around in some person's head because now you've created more enemy you know if you shoot an innocent person they have cousins they have yep. husbands wives or whatever you've just created 10 times more problem and i, I think young people don't understand that 
they're just kind of like, well, I'll just go in there and I'll just start guns blazing. Like, you're actually creating more fucking problems. Because what you also don't know is if you hurt that person, now you have to Kazavak them. You're going to have to utilize all your resources, get this person out of there, you're under investigation, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think being very controlled and professional in that manner um, and having the right people in your front of your your point man, the person who's going in, should probably be your best decision maker or one of them. Right. A lot of people will put the junior guy in there, which I don't agree with because it's a young kid. That's a hard decision to make. Yeah. If you put a kind of a more seasoned, aggressive kid in there who's a better decision maker, um, you're probably going to get better results from that. So, you know, it all depends on the team. Some people have different perspectives on it, which just mine was not that. So, uh, Let's keep fast-forwarding a little bit. Thank you for everything you've shared so far. Mm-hmm. Now you're training Marines. Yep. This is your job. Yep. And uh, our former Sergeant Major specifically asked me to ask you, the idea of making chicken nuggets and making Marines, this this first Sergeant Nicholson's uh, training, character development, whatever you want to call it, leadership style, give us what that means. So I always tell people, I'm like, you know, when you go to McDonald's and you order chicken nuggets, you go through the drive-thru and you open this box of chicken nuggets and you're like, oh, this is great. These look so good. Um, but have you ever seen that documentary on how chicken nuggets are made? Smash these chickens and do whatever. And I tell them, like, if you want chicken nuggets, I'm the guy in the factory you know, <laughs> making these chicken nuggets. I said, don't open the fucking door. Because once you open the door, you're going to see me in there just dousing people in acid these chickens in acid and i'm slamming their cutting their heads off beating these things to death and i tell people all the time like if you want a warfighter i'll get you a warfighter do not ask the process don't don't fucking don't don't come to work at three between the hours of three and six in the morning don't you just need to know that when we deploy they're going to be what you need um and it's going to be a terrible fucking process for those young kids it's a lot of log runs. It's a lot of gas mask runs. It's a lot of just fucking these kids up. And like, for example, like we would do, we would do these runs where I would, uh, I would have two Nalgene bottles, and I would make them all take a sip, have them spit it into the other Nalgene bottle, and I would say, "This is how full this needs to be." Mm. So then I would pour it out, and then I would pass fill it up to that specific whatever and then I would make everybody take a drink I'm like alright we're gonna go run five miles and everybody had to run with water in their mouth and if that Nalgene bottle didn't get filled to that fucking line at the end of the run we're gonna keep going mm. until I get more until we fill this thing up um, it was just like a mental thing um, of like do you wanna be the person in the team that swallows the water and you're selfish because you're thirsty or you want you can't breathe just fucking suffer that's all you get to do is just suffer um, or you know you know, go to the fire break over here and you get in the low crawl and you just push a log up the fucking hill. It takes forever. Yeah. Um, it sucks. It's terrible. If you want hard people, you have to do hard shit. People will argue, oh, well, you don't have to do that. I'm like, but you do. You, you, you absolutely have to because at the end of the day, um, a mom or dad doesn't give a shit about anything else but is their kid alive. And if you tell them, ma'am, I could have kept your son alive by doing X, Y, and Z. And she said, well, why didn't you? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Um, or, hey, your kid's alive. You know, if he wants to, did I, to divulge how hard it was, he can. I'm not going to tell you. But um, here's here's how much misery it takes 
uh, to have a sustained seven months. A lot of my Marines, uh, for a long period of time, just had to fucking suffer. But I would tell them too. I would when we got a platoon, I would pull them in. I would say, "Hey guys, here, here, here's how it works." I said. You're going to get emotionally abused. You're going to get physically abused. You're going to get mentally abused. You're going to get everything abused. Everything's going to be terrible. I said, this is not going to be fun. I said, if you want out right now, tell me. And you don't have to be a part of this from day one. However, if you don't fucking quit, if you, you say, hey, I want to be a part of this, then you have accepted everything that I'm about to do to you for the next four months, five months. You know, if you want to be a part of it, great. If you don't, um, that's fine too. You're not made for that. Um. And then also, too, I would kind of do this, uh, I don't know, some people call it shaming. I don't know what you would call it. But uh, if a Marine got, if a Marine did something that was selfish and not in the best interest of the team, I would not punish that Marine. I would just punish everybody else. Mm -hmm. So, like, for example, I had one kid, uh, he decided to take off work early, not tell anybody and do whatever. And I said, okay. So everybody else had to do work and we're working late. And finally, I noticed, I'm like, where the fuck is so-and-so? And I called him, I said, where are you at? He said, oh, I'm at my girlfriend's house. I'm like, perfect. See you tomorrow morning. So tomorrow morning, I got everybody on the basketball court, and I went to the chow hall, and I got him a big omelet, and I got him sausage and eggs and everything, and I made him sit there, and I got him two cups of orange juice, and he sat there and ate breakfast, and I made everybody else do burpees. Wow. And I said, every time you do a bite, we're going to do five burpees wow. until the meal's finished. And everybody's going to watch you. Um, and I said, because we have to pay for your fucking selfishness we have to pay i said that's just how it is um actually when i was in 29 palms in 2021 um i had a squad come back and they dropped all their shit and uh you know i was a gunny at the time they dropped all their shit and they went to the px and i said what the fuck was that now this is my first day at the platoon like i got changed over took this platoon over and i said well, what the fuck was that i said why aren't we preparing for the next mission oh uh, well so-and-so let us do this. And said, well, I'm not fucking letting you do that. Like, we don't do that here. We prepare for the next mission and whatever. I said, I'm going to teach you motherfuckers a lesson. So we went like a mile, mile and some change away, and I made them put an e-steak on my back. There was 11 of them. So I carried 11 e-steaks, and I made them sit in a van and drive behind me while I walked back. Um, and it was terrible. It was, I mean, I was 36 years old, right, and I'm doing this. <laughs> um, and it fucking hurts, right? Yeah. But I just told him, I said... You being selfish, someone has to pay. Mm. Someone always fucking pays um, for you being a selfish asshole. And eventually, Marines will feel bad when they make other people pay for things. So they quit making selfish mistakes um, because they don't want to be the person. They want to partake in the misery with everybody else because it's, it's easier to be a part of the group that's suffering than to be the one on the outside not doing anything. And witnessing it. Yeah, and it's their fault. Yeah, it's their fault, and it's an everyone else gets. Approach, John, to and in or hikes. <laughs> sweet, as a when I was a platoon sergeant, sweet, you want to follow the hike? Yeah. Take your shit out. Everybody else is going to carry it. Mm -hmm. You can watch everybody else hurt. Everybody else is going to suffer, um, and eventually, people start carrying their fucking weight and not making stupid decisions because they know that everybody else has to pay. And like, if you draw that line real fucking clear and real early for them. I'm telling you, that'll fix your platoon. That'll fix selfishness in a second. Because if not, the Marines will get tired of it too. The Marines will be like, hey, I'm fucking real tired of paying for you. Real tired. So, like, we're going to have a conversation after this because the Marine will fuck up once or twice, three times, and, like, it'll be fixed. Um, now, I would always tell my Marines, like, hey, you need to be careful on how you address this situation. I know what you want to do, but 
before you would do anything crazy, please make sure you run it by me because when I co-sign it, it's good. If you don't, if I don't co-sign it and you do something wild, I'm like, I'm going to fuck you up um, because now you're doing something to get our lieutenant or our captain in trouble. Wow. And he yeah. doesn't have fucking opportunity. Like he might not have a – he's not there, right? And I'm entrusted to make sure that I make those proper decisions and I can tiptoe the line, you know, to make sure that my boss is not going to get fired. But um, where the platoon sergeant comes in and, like, mm -hmm. creates that environment of, like, guys, like, this is – we all have to go to the same place. And it's just like – and, you know, I always tell people, you're not as strong as your weakest link. You're as strong as your strongest link because they're carrying all the fucking weight. Mm -hmm. They're just going to. Like, your weakest link, if you put 80 pounds on everybody, guess what? That pack's coming off and it's going to go on the strongest guy. And we're going to go as fast as that fucking guy can go. Right. So, first, Sergeant, I wanted you to touch on everything that you've been discussing. It's, it's navigating my mind back to this concept, this important idea of shared suffering, shared misery in the development of a human being. And, and could you touch on that, that, that concept, this idea of why you're, in a way, pushing these Marines so hard? What... How does it play a role in, in that idea? Um, you know, I think once you go through, through adversities, whether it be in a marriage or a relationship or at work or wherever, um, there's some trauma bonding that happens, um, and your relationship comes out the other side a lot stronger. War is a terrible fucking place. It's just awful. Um, so the more that you can mentally build up a callus and you'd be like – put people through different scenarios like hey you can get through this this is doable it's hard but it's doable and then now you realize like hey that six miles was hard you know six miles with holding water in your mouth is hard six miles with a gas mask is hard but guess what you did it so guess what we're going to do some more um, and we're going to do some more and we're going to do some more and eventually marines start asking for stuff like they start wanting punishment like they become gluttons for it because like okay what else can you do to us and you're like oh okay I'll kick it up a notch, brother. Um, but that's what you want. You want, like, a bunch of meat eaters or, like, they want to grapple or, like, hey, like, and it is up to the platoon sergeant, in my opinion, to, like, one, foster that environment and, two, make sure it's controlled enough that it doesn't get out of the way and it doesn't lead into hazing and stuff like that. Because it's, for me, it's, for the platoon sergeant, it's you set the example and the culture and the climate of how all of that stuff goes, but you also have to protect your commander. You have to protect the lieutenant or the captain of the battalion commander to make sure it doesn't start getting into the crazy. Um, because you should know your Marines and know how far and what you can get away with and what you can and can't do. And then you should also know, um, you know, the strict rules of hazing. Because, like, if you're doing something to, like, hey, take off your shirt and do this and, like, you know, and make them do something stupid, that's hazing. Right. Um, if you don't have a purpose for it. If it's tough-ass training... And there is a purpose behind it, and you'd be like, hey, guys, we're doing this because it's hard. Um, and we're not – and it's not, like, st stupid shit that's, like, embarrassing, um, but it's, like, physically and mentally demanding things. Um, I think once you start getting into doing the the weird shit uh, of, like, the hazing, like, you know, making them get low-crawling and sweeping and doing stuff like that, Marines see that right through that. Like, there's no purpose behind that. Once you, you know, if you're doing physical fitness and, you know, you're tying it in with, like, a Medal of Honor uh, citation at the end or you're saying, like, hey, you know, you go up the top of First Horns Hill and you'll say, hey, I knew this guy and we did this and this, that, and the other. And you can tie it all back in. That trauma bonding over time just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then also the opposite end of that, Marines start wanting to do harder shit. And then they start doing harder shit on their own. 
And I tell people, like, you know, there's a difference between hard training and hazing. Hard training is when you love somebody. Hazing is when you can't stand somebody. Because yeah. you don't do fucked up things to people you love and you genuinely care about. And that's where I think my career, I've been pretty successful on the, the whole chicken nugget thing. Is because at the end of the day, the Marines knew, like, hey, this guy loves us. He takes care of us. You know, he asks when my anniversary is. He asks when my kids' birthdays are. If I'm having a bad day, he tells me to go take a break. Uh, you know, he's involved in my finances. He's involved in everything. So, like, they're more apt to take that beating. But if I was just an asshole and I didn't let him yep. do anything and I was just condescending constantly and I didn't show any general care, then, yeah, they could easily be like, well, that's mean. And this that, that's there's no purpose in this. Like, easily. And I always told Marines this. You can get an order from somebody you absolutely love and an, the same order from somebody you absolutely hate, and you will take that in two separate ways. Because if you respect him, you're like, hey, that makes sense. I understand. Like, he's he never steers me wrong. Um or you can be like, hey, that dude's an asshole, uh, and you know he's he's always doing the wrong thing, and you know he's you know shady and whatever. And, and Marines are gonna they're gonna spin that however they want. And I also tell people too, like if you want to know if you're a leader or not, put your put your name on a glass jar, right? And against anybody, you can put every staff and CO against the wall, right? In a jar, and I say if you had one person to take you to combat, you put one chevron in the jar. Mm. And I said, I know how many I'm getting. I'm getting a shit ton. Uh, because one, I can have personal relationships with people and things like two, and two, I, I train hard as fuck. Some people will not do that. And I'm like, that's the problem. If you don't think you're going to get any chevrons in your jar, it's because you don't, you don't care about people. Like you don't train them hard. You don't do anything. There's no, like they don't expect anything from you and they don't trust you. You can crush people all day long and, and just absolutely obliterate them. But they're like, you know what? That's the fucking dude that I want to go with. That's the guy. 10 times out of 10, that's going to lead me in the right way because on ranges, I'm the sm you're the smartest or the most tactical person at the range. Uh, when it comes to personal problems, you have the answer. You, you have resources. When it comes to platoon problems, you can sit two people in a room like, hey, guys, we're not leaving until this is solved. You know, you take in the personal life. You take in their professional life. You take interest in everything, even guys who are getting out. Hey, guy, hey, what's, what's your two-year plan look like? Did you enroll for college yet? Did you do this? Did you do that? And even though they're not going to be a part of the team going forward, other Marines see that you are still invested in some way, shape, or form of getting out. And I think Marines pay attention to everything. Um, so I think once they see, that, like, hey, you're heavily invested in every single thing, uh, they, there's that buy-in. And like, okay, this guy absolutely cares about me 100 fucking percent. Um, and they'll let you do whatever they want. Like, they will accept it at that point because the risk is worth the reward. Um, and you don't – like, I've never had a Marine – in my platoon, ever throw the flag up for hazing? Never, not one fucking time. Because one, I was doing it with them. Um, I'm right there with you. Right. And two, um, I'm gonna help you. Like if you can't, like helping you might not sound like I'm helping you at the time. It might be an ass chewing. But at the end of the day, it's just like, hey, so saw you follow that run, but you fucking made it. Guess what? Tomorrow's even longer, and it's gonna be even worse. So you know, we're I'll be there too. I'll be there at five in the morning with you. Um, and it's going to be terrible. I just want to let you prepare for that. And, you know, um, and that running's just a small thing, right? Because some Marines are good at hiking. Some Marines are good at running. Some Marines are good at swimming. And you have to uh, reward the guys that if you're not good at running and you know they're not good at running, but you're in the pool and they're doing really well, you know, you should recognize them in front of the platoon and be like, hey, if we're doing water ops, I need you to fucking do this. Because they might be bad at five events. And the platoon might 
ostracize them a little bit, but then when you can recognize that they're good at something, or they're good at demo, or they're good at machine guns, and you recognize that, now the platoon's like, oh, okay, this guy offers value here. So he doesn't need to be the best runner, the best hiker, the best whatever. He offers value in some other way, shape, or form. And they get publicly recognized yeah, and also. Like, yeah. Because you love them. Like, you want your guys, you want everybody to succeed. That's um, what I'm really hearing is your heart behind it. Because the the idea, that question you asked, Dr. Taylor, that, that led to our just what you were saying last is like what you did was foster trust in them. And, and they knew that you cared for them when they truly knew that you cared for them they're truly going to trust you with everything yeah and they don't they don't there's no bullshit there's they'll no, take a bullet for you right uh, i mean hopefully nobody's got to take a bullet but you know um, <laughs> that was extreme i'm sorry but um say like yeah i mean once you have their loyalty and they trust you like you can do whatever the fuck you want like you uh, because they know you're not going to do the wrong thing but you're also doing it with them i think that's a piece that yeah. that a lot of leaders and others don't recognize is if you're suffering with them and you're sharing that and you're carrying the pack and you're running around, you're getting up and you're doing all that, there's just there's a connection there that it's one thing for, for me to say, because I have kids, you know, I think all three of us here have children, and I'm up there like, don't eat ice cream, and then at night they see me sneaking ice cream. They see that. And I, who's this guy? Wait, he's making me suffer just something as simple, no ice cream, and he's up, you know, eating ice cream all night long. And there's some, there's a piece to that I really appreciate what you're saying here, because on the one hand, we, John and I, we we, we really enjoy hearing these narratives, these stories, and someone like you who's gone through, boy, oh boy, just in this last hour we've had with you, it's unbelievable, but yet you're still doing it with them. You're you're 36. How old are you now? 38. 38 years old, and still. You're going to do this, and we're going to do it together, and here's why. And I'm going to do it with you. And I think there's a piece to that that I really respect and, and honestly honor and reverence. It's respectable, yeah. Well, I think, too, on the opposite, the bad part of that, right, is um, that takes 100% investment. <laughs> yeah. And people, you know, you sacrifice your personal life for that, right? Mm-hmm. I tell people this all the time. Um, as a platoon, you know, in the platoon or, the, or a company or whatever, like when you see guys going hard like that, they – it is easy for them to get so sucked up into making sure that their guys are trained hard that somebody else has to be on the outside being like, hey, you need to go take a fucking break um, because you're showing up every day at four. You're doing this. You're doing that. Or somebody to pull you back. I didn't really have a whole lot of people pulling me back um, because they just liked what I was doing of like at four in the morning. But I didn't take into account like – this, these, some of these kids have babies. Some of these kids have wives, and like they're suffering. And I don't care about that. Um, as a platoon sergeant and things like that, you were able to time manage it a little bit. But also, it's like I, you know, I tell people all the time. It's just like you know, if you're going to be fully invested in this, somebody has to sacrifice. And a lot of times, it's the family and like, problems and, and shit like that. And I, like, I went through it. Uh, I always tell people, there's no work-life balance in the Marine Corps. It's zero. It's you're institutionalized, you know, nine times out of 10, the Marine Corps is going to take priority. And then everybody else, just hopefully you have a strong support system or, you know, your mom or your dad or, or significant other, whoever. I'm like, cause if not, like those people are paying just as much as the, the Marines are paying, everybody else is paying too. So like, I think being aware and being able to like sometimes wrangle those kids in and be like, Hey man, I appreciate how hard you're going. You need to go take a personal day. Let somebody else crush these kids for a day or two you need to fucking go because you need to go take your significant other out to lunch tomorrow or you need to go like 
you know, like, hey, how's it going? Oh, it's good. I said, hey, how's the family? Oh, you know, my kid had a play or my kid had this, but I missed it because I'm doing this. I'm just like, tomorrow you're going to go take your kid to school. Right. Because, you know, you have to because you've literally missed everything because you're so focused on destroying somebody or training them that you don't invest in all the other things. And, like, it's so easy to get wrapped up into to focus on this because the Marine Corps makes – the Marine Corps – will convince you that this is the most important thing that's ever existed. And every day is the most important thing. And every event is the most important thing. And no one will ever pull you off of that. And you just hope that somebody can recognize you like, hey, man, I appreciate it. I'm glad you're doing it. I'm glad you're going 100 miles an hour. My company, Gunny, like a month ago, he dude was at work like five days in a row, like late, right? If you're here tomorrow, I'm going to 6105 you. Like (laughs) you're not taking leave. You're not taking anything. You're not coming to work. Well, I have this tomorrow. No. no, you, if I see you at work tomorrow, I'm going to fucking punish you because your wife is like, or your significant other is missing all this time. And for what? For a fucking motor T run to division like that? You know what? Grand scheme of things, that's, that's fucking worthless, man. Like, but we put this internal process in that everything is so important that we do everything. No one asks about family. That's when you're on deployment and then your family life falls apart because in training you didn't invest in that. You're on deployment, and now that guy's head's not in the fucking game. And he's the one in charge, or the squad leader's in charge, and his kids don't want to talk to him on the phone, or his wife's leaving him, or whatever the case is. And now his his ass isn't in the game, and he invested all of this time in the these 12 Marines. His shit's falling apart. Well, he's in combat now. You, there ain't no investing in him. He's, he's going to have to deal with it. Yeah. So now you're in a kinetic environment with fucking personal problems. Um... It just leads to a fucking shit show. You have to be super aware as a leader to make sure that all your dudes who are going 100 miles an hour and like really carrying the load that are are taking care of themselves because they won't. They will just keep punishing and punishing and punishing, and they don't care who they drag with them. So, yeah, there's that piece that you just said. I really appreciated. Like, I need to know these people as a leader. I need to know when they're pushing. And if you're with them, like you've been with them, you recognize that and say you're taking the next day off. You gotta be with your son. You gotta be with that because that will actually build you up as a Marine. That will actually, when we get to combat, you're gonna be ready to go because, you know, I know that you need a break because you're gonna keep pushing, 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 pushing. Yeah, there's no, it's all all gas, no breaks. And like, yeah. some of these kids need to just be pulled back and just like, got it for tomorrow. Right. Like, don't worry about it. And they'll text. And I'll tell them, like, if you text me, if you call me, if you show up to work, I'm gonna fuck you up. Um, do not worry about work at all. Because if not, if you tell them to go home, they'll still text you. Hey, how's everybody doing? Yeah. And you're just like, <laughs> let it go, bro. Yeah. Just let it go. It's not that important, man. It's it's important for sure. Yes. It's not that important. Well, I think, John, I mean, this has been an amazing conversation. Amazing. One yeah. of these last things we'd like to ask is if, if you had one idea, one thought, one piece of knowledge to gift these younger Marines and sailors or anybody listening to this, what's something that, you hope sticks in their uh, brain uh it begins with it starts with you it starts and ends with yourself like no amount of leadership is going to cover up any bullshit like you know your pft is yours your cft is yours your basic knowledge of the mos is yours like it's not anybody else's responsibility it's their responsibility to facilitate it but we there's a lot of victim mentality going on of of like oh well i did this because of this person it's like no motherfucker like it's you it starts and ends with you 24 hours a day. Uh, when you lay down in bed, you know, you talk, you have internal conversations of like, 
what do I need to do tomorrow? And then you make a personal fucking choice of like whether you're not or you're you will or will not do it. A lot of times, like we'll cover it up with, oh, it's leadership, this and the other. It's like no, it's the individual. The individual makes a choice every fucking day to whether or not they're going to be a good motherfucker or a bad motherfucker. Nine times out of ten, nine nine point five times out of ten, it's not somebody else's fault. It's you've created this environment for yourself or you haven't made the personal relationships, or you haven't worked hard, or you haven't done whatever the hell you need to do to be successful. Uh, you know, I've, in 20 years, you know, I got to do all these deployments and do all these fucking things, and all of the bad shit that's ever happened to me is my fucking fault. Hmm. Everything. It's my fault. Like, if, if I have a personal relationship go bad, it's I didn't invest the time. Uh, it's not work's fault, because I could have created that space for myself. If I fuck something up at work, I could have planned better. I, I know the resources, or I was just too lazy. And I tell people, you know why you don't get a 300 PFT? Because you fucking choose not to. The pavement is free. The pull-up bars are free. <laughs> the crunches, the planks are free. It's 24-hour fitness all the time. You fucking make a choice not to run a 300 PFT. You make a choice not to be the best swimmer because the pool's free. You make a choice not to read a book. You make a choice not to do this paper. You make a choice every fucking day. So when you're like, oh, well, I got fucked out of meritorious. No, you didn't. You fucked yourself. And then when people get passed over on promotions, like, oh, well, this, that, and the other. And it's like, brother, your percentages suck for performance because you suck. Like, that is what it is. It's your fault. Those Everything on that master brief sheet or, or anything in life is your fault. Um, people cannot grasp that concept. They just, oh, well, this happened, and then that happened, and this happened. And it's just like, you know... Adversity doesn't, you know, what is the saying? Reversity doesn't define somebody, it reveals somebody. Mm. And they don't fucking, you know, everybody, a lot of people I run into in the Marine Corps is just like, you know, oh, I got fucked, I got this, I got that. I'm like, I've never been screwed over a day in my life. I've screwed myself over a shit ton of times. But I've, the Marine Corps has never screwed me, never screwed me over. I never felt like I was the victim on anything or, or whatever. Everything was self-induced. Uh, I think a lot of people... Do not grasp that concept. It's always somebody else's goddamn fault for some reason. I don't know why. It drives me insane. Mom, you sit in meetings and all these other things, and you just it's blaming somebody else. Blame, 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 blame. And I'm like, you know, get a fucking mirror out, put it right in front of you. That's the first person's fault it is. Right. Um, that's just my personal opinion. A lot of people will disagree with that. Well, maybe so, but you earlier you brought up the point of adversity and that idea of... of how does a Marine, you know, use that adversity in life? And you were saying whether it's a relationship or it's difficulty in the Marine Corps or with peers, whatever it might be, you were saying that adversity allows someone to develop resilience and really test themselves. And then their confidence level goes up. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is there a way that you try to say, look in the mirror, and by the way, when you go through this stuff, you will develop something like resilience? Do you ever try? Yeah, I, for, for me, it's just like, hey, you're not alone. Like, you're going to go through this. I'm right fucking here, dog. Like, their whole support system's here. It's not like you're doing this by yourself. There's nothing in the Marine Corps that is brand new. Like, you need to renew your, you need to register your car. Guess what? We've all done it. You need some help? Hey, you're going through some marital problems. Guess what? We have a million resources, and X, Y, and Z has, you know, went through this. Oh, hey, you have a death in the family. There's five or six people that have already done it. Like, you're not alone. Like, you, you, there's always a support system in the Marine Corps. There's, and everything's already been done a thousand times. Um, so I, I think 
once people and then that's where that trust comes in because if they don't trust you they're not going to lean on you for shit they're going to try to handle it on their own um, and i think that's where a lot of the resiliency problems come in because they don't trust in who their direct chain of command is or their direct leader or their mentor or whoever the hell whatever you want to trigger word you want to call it they don't trust them so they try to take on all these problems by their damn self and now they're just loaded fucking down it's just like if you got 80 pounds give me 40 right like I, it, it's easy dog it's just uh but when that trust isn't there no one's like i'm not going to give you 40 pounds because i don't think you can keep up with me or i don't think you understand or i don't trust you to not tell anybody else um so i think you know the, the trust and the love and the genuine care has to be there and then platoons don't have those problems you can look in the marine corps in this battalion platoons who have problems probably don't have a great person in front of them Guys who don't have a whole lot of fucking problems are probably the ones that are, I don't see we go to the field all the time, but like, they're probably doing some hard stuff. The platoon sergeant's probably a pretty firm person, and they also look up to that person, and they know that that person's going to make great decisions, or good decisions, all the fucking time. And those guys have the least amount of suicides, they have the least amount of, you know, C&Ds, or for anxiety and depression, they have the least amount of any of that. Like, for example, I had... When I was down in Mac as the platoon sergeant with Lieutenant Salinas, it's we I had that platoon for nine months. Not one NGP, not one DUI, not one anxiety, not one anything. I had three really good squad leaders, corporals, uh, Montney, Moore, uh, Quijada. Um, young kids, right? And every day, you know, and I had Sergeant Jenkins, great dude too. Um, you know, every day we would talk. I'm like, hey, what's the problems? And then we'd have formation and pull them in like, hey, this and the other, who's got a fucking problem? This, this, this. Not one person in that whole, and that, like, not to fucking toot my own horn, but like, as an example, uh, I left that platoon two weeks later as a DY. And I'm just like, how the fuck's that possible? It's because they're, you know, they feel like, one, they feel like they could do whatever they fucking want sometimes. And you have to be there to be like, you're not going to do whatever you want. You're going to, you're going to be on this ship and we're all rowing the same direction. And if you're not rowing this direction, I'm going to throw your ass off the ship. Um, and two, it's just like, you need to trust me when I tell you these things. And they also know, too, it was like, hey, if I get in trouble, I got to answer to this guy yeah. on Monday. Um, we had the COVID thing, right? Perfect example, too. Uh, COVID happened. I pulled my platoon out, and I said, hey, boys, we're getting a COVID shot. Zero eight, Monday morning. That is it. I said, no ifs, ands, or buts. We're all getting it. And I said, we're at, we'll be out there all motherfucking day until everybody gets it. I said, no questions, right? Perfect. And I didn't, I didn't offer, I didn't entertain questions. Um, and I said, you know, we have to do it so we can deploy. And... I had one kid go up to the lieutenant and say, hey, uh, I don't know if I want to get the shot. And the lieutenant said, do you want to go talk to Gunny? He said, no, I'll just get the shot. And I said, yep. <laughs> and we went there, and no fucking COVID refusals. I, I told you what to fucking do. I'm not going to steer you wrong. I'm not. I'm not going to tell, uh, tell you the wrong answer or whatever. I'm just going to tell you this is what we're going to fucking do because I feel like this is what's best for the fucking team. And if I hope you believe it too, guess what? Not a fucking peep. Yeah. Not one motherfucking person. Forty dudes all got the COVID vaccine. Not a fucking peep about it. And I was just lined up, got it. Hey, easy yeah, day. <laughs> Let's keep going. Well, first sergeant, I I can just say from for me personally, I really appreciate when you're in meetings with me because you you cut through the fat. 
and you just get straight to the point. Right to the point. And we're like, I always appreciate it. And I'm just nodding my head. Yeah. I'm like, I'm so glad someone said that. Yeah. I'm so glad someone said well, that. Sure so I just want to appreciate it. What's that? I'm sure some people are well, not hey, glad. You know, I appreciate it. And I just, we do. What yeah. a gift. Thanks for your time. Oh, my sure, gosh. Thank it. you. Thanks. And, and, and sharing some of these awesome. experiences. Um, man, God bless your brother. And I'm looking forward to the next month or two or next however meeting? long I get to hang out with you. Well, we got another meeting, I'm sure, this week, so. Yeah. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure some fucking emotional events will happen inside of there, too, so. Okay, good. Thank you so much for Thank starting. you for, Sergeant.